Blog Talk Radio.
the good and the not so good experiences, and then the the idea though is to how to bring the light into that, how that how saying yes to spirit and our spiritual practices change that. So in an hour, will I be able to, you know, have the light on all my enemies? Now I'm trying to think of you know now of course my mind is going to people that are my enemies. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to say you have a list of enemies. You know, you watch those CSI movies or they, you know those, those those law shows when somebody gets killed. They always ask the family, well, who are the enemies? Who didn't like them? And the family's always like, well, no Everybody loved loved them. They didn't have any enemies. Well, apparently they did. They're dead. You know, so. But it's interesting how we conceptualize, how I conceptualize an enemy. So So I think resistance fits, and I'm interested to see where this hour goes. Okay, then we'll take a little break, and we'll come back, and we will jump in (laughs) to enemies. Welcome back to Say Yes to Spirit, encouraging you on your spiritual path. So if you look in the dictionary under enemy, you'll find things like this. An enemy is an opposing military force. An enemy is an armed adversary. An enemy is any hostile group of people. An enemy is a foe, F-O-E. And, you know, I love that the first two deal with military and armed adversary because (laughs) isn't it true that when we think of people who we label as enemies, they may not be carrying an actual gun, AK-47, right, or, you know, they may not be carrying a gun or a knife, but we react and respond to them as if they are really threatening our actual life. And see, now I have to stop you right there because that's so powerful, and then I always ask myself the question, so then does my belief that they're carrying a gun create the gun that just doesn't even necessarily exist? Yes. Okay. See, isn't that? Oh, gosh. And, yeah, and that we then... You know, are there an armed adversary, which is the second definition? It's like, what are they armed with? They're armed with opinions I don't like. They're armed with a communication style that irritates me. Mm. They're armed with, what is it that they are armed with that has me label them as an adversary? I got you. So what part of them am I? Reacting to? As if they are, right. Uh You know, and thinking of that the same way I would think of them carrying a knife or a gun, you know, is what they say or what they do. Their opinions they have of me or their opinions they Mm. have of who I should be instead of who I am. And so it is interesting, those first two definitions. And then the third one, any hostile group of people. Mm. So... You know, we we do that, and it doesn't have to necessarily be by race or gender or sexual orientation, but, you know, the Baptists think the Jews or the Buddhists are their enemy. Uh-huh. You know, it's a, a hostile group of people, uh-huh. people who Ooh. are hostile to my ideas or my concept of myself. So it is interesting that when we say enemy, so often, you know, we do think, we just think that person is my enemy. Well, what is it about that person or your interaction 
Uh-huh. And it has you then label them in a way that would fit these definitions. And I wonder if we really spent time with it instead of seeing this, you know, group of people or this person as my enemy, if I spent time with that group or that person and, like you say, kind of defined it. Is it their behavior? Is it their emotion to me? Is it a message that I hear? Their judgment? Right. And And then the power that I'm giving that individual thing to that whole experience because I'm seeing it as a weapon that can actually kill me. I guess it, emotionally I have experienced that it felt like that. If I felt like somebody was in judgment of me or felt like I was disappointing or felt like I, you know, someone was out to get me at work and they were, you know, plotting against me and talking about me, you know, I felt like I was going to die if I got, you know, found out or judged. Or, right. And, I mean, and that, that makes sense. On the you know just in terms of human nature, mm-hmm. not so much that you you want everybody to like you and love you, but but that judgment piece of um, you know they think I should do something a different way, but I know this is right for me or this is what I believe, and it's okay for them to believe what they want to believe. Uh, but it feels like there's this battle going on instead of acceptance mm-hmm. of the differences. So, yeah, so we put that label out there. And I just have to say for the record, of course, it's important that everyone has to love me. That's, yeah, I just thought I'd say that. Oh, but, yeah, I did make that statement. Yeah, I, sort of make it. <laughs> I just wanted but to put out the exception yeah. to that rule that it is a mandate. And, you know, I think that, that my my feeling for that, my need for that, then if someone falls outside of that, if I'm, you know, I was doing a, a presentation last night in the county jail. I do some work with the women in the jail, and I was presenting to like 50 jail inmates. So you have to just make an assumption that you know your 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 audience is half there and half not. And I was so fixated on the ones that I wasn't engaging, that weren't smiling at me, that didn't seem to be involved, and I was just like, oh, I have to get those four women in the corner to you know appreciate what I. And so I'm amazed at how they you know that that need for that external something, and if I perceive that they're talking and they're, they're my enemy because they're not engaged and certainly they're talking about me because what else would they have to talk about in prison, right, besides me and coming on, to, you know, coming at some attitude about me. So it can get very insidious, I think, you know, if we don't stop and really look at what's happening, you know, and kind of be our own observer and, and not be so much in the story, but right, not get so it. caught up by right. what might be the knee-jerk reaction, right? Um, and and then see it for what it is, and then make a choice, right? Because yeah, so much, and we've talked about this so many times that so much of what we do is simply our habitual knee-jerk yes. reaction yes. to people or situations, and we don't notice it, right? Because if we would notice it based on what we know now compared to what we knew when we were twelve years old, and that pattern started, mm-hmm. we would be like, oh, no, that that's not who I am. Right. But we don't even notice that it's been going on. That tape's been playing so long uh-huh. in our lives. Yep, absolutely. So um, enemies, enemies, enemies. Um, in the description for the show today, we said, do you have enemies? Mm-hmm. Is the <laughs> devil your enemy? Oh, wow. And can you have enemies if you believe in God? So what about that? Oh. Is the devil your enemy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The devil. The perception. Of course, I don't think we would believe in a devil in theory, in, in, in reality, but certainly in theory, the idea of a devil or an evil force that's kind of plotting against me. And again, I think it's like, for me, I think it's like that, you know, I perceive the person has a gun, and so therefore I create the gun. If I perceive there's a devil out there plotting against me, then I'm absolutely creating the situations that are, you know, coming around for me that are that are not suiting me and that are, you know, bad, quote-unquote bad. But again, it's so hard to step out of that groove when you're in that groove. And I, you know, I had an experience this week with somebody that I know well and I you know she was in the groove and I gently suggested out of the groove and you know like you know and then I became the devil (laughs) I mean 
ISIS are saying, when are we the enemy? You know, ISIS being the and And, you know, I kind of got more indignant with, no, I'm the smart one. I know this is what's going on. You need to listen. This is bad. You've been doing this for 20 years. Hello, here's the spotlight. You know, hello, here's the spotlight. And they just got more and more defensive and more and more, you know, indignant that I was the problem. And, um, you know, in that moment, I probably was because I was really pushing in terms of, you know, either, you know, make some choices to do some things different or just stop bitching about it. Can we say bitching on the radio? You know, I mean, because it's like at some point that repetitive pattern, you know, becomes... You know, difficult, energetically, I could feel it in my body. And I was like, I just can't go through another coffee. <laughs> and I can't sit and listen to this until you get into some action. And that sounds judgmental and enemy-ish, doesn't it? Yeah. As I reflect. <laughs> but uh, I, think, I think I was doing it in love. Right, right, right. But, but it is interesting. Well, I, I think I became the enemy. I became the thing she had to... Yeah, from the other person's perspective, you could have the greatest intention, but it's what you've been saying. From the other person's perspective, you were holding a gun Mm -hmm. or a knife, you know, and you were. You were holding up a, hey, stop, Mm -hmm. you know, we're... Here's an invitation for you Mm -hmm. or a demand for you to make a shift, which would feel like a knife cutting surgery, doing mm-hmm. surgery on a long-held belief that I'm attached to, you right. know, if I'm that other person. Um, and so it is, that is interesting to think about. If you made a list of people who you are aware of, consider you the in, their enemy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, um, why would they do that. And what is it about you mm-hmm. that even if you are acting in their best interest or mm-hmm. in what seems to be their best interest, um, that you get labeled the enemy? Now, you know, in our family relationships, that happens all the time mm-hmm. where children, especially teenagers, label their parents as their enemy and their right. parents, you know, 99% of the time have that teenager's best interest at heart, and is offering them what is good advice, but the teenager sees it as an intrusion or as just totally wrong or stupid. Right. And so, you know, many of us go through that phase of your parents are your biggest enemies because they're trying to, you know, run your life or make you go in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sisters and brothers. And, I mean, you know, within the family unit, isn't it interesting that we almost seems naturally mm-hmm. get to experience that dynamic mm-hmm. and then how many of us learn within the same family how to heal that mm-hmm. and grow it into a positive or return it to a positive relationship. Most of us don't. Isn't that something? That's an interesting caveat. Most of us don't. Or, you know, when I think about the people I know personally you know, I know very few people who um, don't have some unhealed mm-hmm. wounds from their family relationships. So they have a sister who's their enemy, or they have a parent who's their enemy. Right. Um, that's kind of sad. Isn't that interesting? And you're sitting here talking and thinking, oh, that is so sad. And, and that is really kind of a... I mean, beyond, you know, you, you X out the X factor of the, where there's real active trauma or, you know, abuse occurring. But most of the um, disconnects in families is usually, you know, a sense of separation or a sense of a need not being met or a sense of a, you know, misconnecting on something. And then it seeds and then it starts to grow and then it becomes this huge thing, this oak tree. And we're responding to the oak tree, and if we had looked at the seed of whatever it was, the tiny little thing that began this relationship break, you know, then we could repair that probably. Yeah, and I I can think of examples where there were family members who perceived themselves as enemies of one another, and that was healed, and they are not close, but it was healed in a way that there's not, 
this blaming, shaming, yes. anger, or yes. resentment. Yes. And it's like there's been a a healing, right. and part of that healing is, you know, we really are so very different, are on so different paths, paths such a different path from one another, that it is agreed in our best interest that we don't have contact with one another. Right. So that's a healing, and then that, you know, and then when that happens, it's like, no, that person's not my enemy. Right. They're just really very different. And even though we're connected by blood, we're not, you know, interacting by choice versus reacting, you know, and the all the talk about this person makes me sick and it makes me angry and blah, 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 and everything that is said is negative. Right. So so it is possible, I guess I, I, I want to say that, that it's possible to choose to um, distance yourself in a way that is from love and feels loving and there's peace around it. But most people have that distance and there is all kind of tension in tension, there. Right. And the labeling of the other uh-huh is whether we use the word enemy we or not, we use the, a negative label. Yes, and I wonder if enemy is one of those words that we don't usually use, but we have a lot of little friendlier words, you know. Sh- yeah. <laughs> but what we're really yes. saying is they're our enemy. We're saying, you know, I, you know, I don't like her anymore. I don't talk to them anymore. I don't have, you know, they did this, he did that. I'm protecting myself from, their, right. from that person who just in their being is a weapon. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of crazy. Because when when we first had that topic again, my reaction was so, oh, you know, I don't really think I have any enemies. But I certainly have, you know, a load of people that there's all sorts of softer terms. And probably, as I'm thinking about it, there can be, as you said, you know, certain parts of a person that I avoid getting involved in because that particular piece of the relationship feels you know, hostile or unwelcoming. And again, looking at that and and really being committed for me, you know, it's like wherever I'm feeling that rub or wherever I'm feeling that disconnect or I'm feeling that unhappiness or that fear, you know, my tendency now is to move toward it, to really get into it and to really kind of get through it and unearth what it is and then see it, you know, it's like the wizard you know, it's this big thing that really is this tiny thing, and then you're like, oh, that's no big deal, and then I can move on. Whereas before, if I got into fear, that's my enemy, that's, you know, something I don't want to look at, then it would just really kind of the small, what turned, you know, started out as a small cut became like this wound, this stage four wound that had to be really attended to five years later. I have a, a, it's not really an enemy devotion, but it's an interesting devotion on people and the people that we resist. I called it My Defense. Okay. Senator who rails against abusive government spending pleads guilty to double billing personal expense items. The hypocrisy of the article in the paper got my attention. It seems the things I react to most offensively are the things I struggle with the most. I have discovered my reaction to someone's inquiry into my behavior is my indicator of my inner experience. The senator railed against the very behavior he participated in. I have a hunch God does not defend or rail against anything. God's natural rhythm of love holds no resistance to what is. I thought about things I have been defensive about in the past and realized my efforts always ended in some form of self-awareness. I now want to live in the natural rhythm of love with no need to defend or rail against. And I think in terms of, because that's kind of like the resisting kind of theme, but also, you know, it's so interesting when I think of politicians or people that you're saying that kind of really come out against, like gay people, or come out against some group of people, and then they end up, and they hate them, and they're the enemy, and they're the reason that, you know, America is going to pot because of this 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 group of people and then they turn out to be gay or they turn out to, you know, be having, you know, their double bit double billing when they're fighting against that. So it's almost that same idea of if I'm making this person enemy, 
you know, what I'm really doing is, is not accepting some part of me. So Ernest Holmes says, ah. well, actually, the Bible says in Matthew, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Yeah, I love that. And what Ernest Holmes says related to that is, there are no enemies external to our own mind. I love that. I really do believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, in Matthew chapter 10, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And your household is not the building. It really is your, your body, body, your, body right, your experience. So, yeah, your the things that that you label as your enemies really are, just like they say in um, love and in relationships, you tend to, if if you're not intentionally doing something different, you tend to simply attract someone who has the qualities that you see in yourself or that you know are deep inside yourself, but you're not exhibiting them, but that person is. So it's like you attract the mirror. Okay. And um, either how you are being or how you really want to be, and they are, you you can't attract what you don't have. Right. And so it's, in my mind it's kind of the same thing. The things that we are more, most likely to rail against, barring actual physical abuse or emotional or mental abuse, Right you know, where you really are reacting to some external force of behavior. But in general, a lot of what we do is we see that part of ourselves that we don't like in somebody else. Right. And we don't want to be around that person. Right. To avoid seeing it in ourselves. Right. Because, you know, we don't want to clean it out internally. We don't want to face it. Or we're blind to it. We don't even really realize, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're doing that thing or that, that is a core part of who we are, and um, and we just, it's so easy to see in somebody else. <laughs> right, and it is exactly as you said, we wouldn't see it, and certainly wouldn't be affected by it if, if it wasn't within us. The old thing, the one finger pointing out, there's three fingers pointing back. Exactly, exactly. So, very interesting. There are no enemies external to our own mind. And if we really embrace that and live that as truth, you know, that would really transform our relation my relationships because then I would see even in what I determine is, you know, judge as a problem relationship or a difficult friendship or a, you know, irritating, you know, sister uh you know, I would be able to have an understanding that really that is just a reflection of me. And um, and I think that takes all of the sting out of it. I do believe that that for me is the biggest challenge is, is I can get so hooked into the emotion of the activity so quickly that I lose the objective lesson. And And I really, just my belief is that, you know, the whole thing is, just a kind of playground of life of learning, and the quicker I can, you know, get what the experience has to offer me, the you know I can go play on the next set of, you know, <laughs> the next set of play equipment, you know, until exactly. I get what that opportunity has to offer me, I'm kind of stuck on that sandbox. You made me think about um, um, and like an old not ancient, but um, proverb, huh? like old wives' tale or proverb. Uh-huh. Um, when I was growing up, one of the things that people used to say a lot is, if there's no enemy within, then the enemy without cannot get in. Oh, I like no that. Enemy, say that again. If there's no enemy within, then the enemy out there can't get in. And a lot of times that was talked about in the black community because oh. of the again the the whole um societal piece around the stereotypes and the assumptions right. that white people would make about black people. And so it would be like, you know, if if 
you can make all white people your enemy. Right. Or you can be so clear that you are living your life in a um, God, well, at that time the language would have been in a God-fearing way or in compliance with the Ten Commandments or, you know, you were living your life aligned with spirit. And so you know that there's no enemy and you are doing the right thing right? how you interact with other people. And so it really doesn't matter what someone white does or says to you because, you know, unless you take it in and allow them to become your enemy. Now, of course, in situations where, you know, with the marches and they were, the, you know, sticking dogs oh, on gosh, people yeah. and, that you know, me. that. But just in general in your day-to-day life, it's like you don't have to take that in when somebody uses the N-word. Or you don't have to take that in when somebody is behind a counter doesn't stand, doesn't um, serve sure. you. Right. You know, or doesn't want to sell that dress to you in the department store. You know, at a certain point, rather than make them the enemy, you go for self-respect. Right. So um, it's really interesting because I think it really helped me in a lot of ways avoid labeling as many people as enemies as I might have otherwise. Yeah. So when I think of people who I thought of as my enemies, that list is pretty short. But I know it goes back to that very learning very young. That's that, you know, what you think of me is none of my business kind of thing, you know. So not seeking approval. All right. Not even expecting it, not expecting uh-huh. people to like you or, or approve of you. I think in some ways that has served me. Now, in other ways it, it's created challenges, but in some ways <laughs> that has really served me. And, and there is a difference, like you had said earlier, with the family members when we disconnect and we say, uh, "Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a relationship with my father, but you know, he's a son of a gun," and blah 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 blah, and they go on. That's very different than, you know, I don't have a relationship with my father because things occurred and we've agreed to disagree, and I would, you know, probably go to him and feed him if he was dying, you know, but I just don't connect with him on a weekly or monthly basis. But, and I think it's that same kind of choice is when we're not responding to someone's judgment of us, it can either be done in a pretty hostile way, well, what they think of me doesn't matter to us. Right. Or it can be done really from a point of peace and saying, you know, that's just that I think you do with me, that's about them. Yeah. My Alan Cohen quote, which I, one of the many Alan Cohen quotes, which I refer to a lot, but the drama is a choice. Yes. So is peace. Yes. Love that. And, I mean, that's on the mirror in my bathroom, or on the wall in my bathroom now, recently moved from the mirror, because um, it's, like, so true. And you don't really, peace is a choice, but you have to take action to get there. Your own work, right? And you have to take action. You're taking action when drama is the choice. Sure. You're labeling, you're sniping, you're blaming, right, you're, right, right. you know, you're... You, when you choose drama, you're just doing all these things. Very much more exciting for me. Exactly. <laughs> I have a lot more activity. And when you're choosing peace, it's you know mm-hmm. you still have to choose certain things to get you to peace and then to stay in peace. Yeah. So it's like yeah, drama is a choice, so it's peace. And the more you choose drama, the more enemies you're likely to have. All <laughs> right. And the more you choose peace the fewer enemies you're likely to have, at at least in my mind, that conceptually makes sense. And for me, that whole drama or peace, you know, I'm pretty good at at, uh, parroting the correct response to the outside world because I'm smart like that. And so my challenge is I can parrot to you the right answer because I know, right, because I'm smart like that. But what is my underlying feeling? So I've learned yes. that I have to test my insides. Am I acting out of peace? Am I acting out of integrity? Or am I acting out of drama and manipulation? And and really, that to me has been such a, a, a gift to be able to really see my inner intention. Because and I and I can absolutely, I absolutely believe that we can do the exact same behavior, 
but it's the intention behind the behavior that manifests the outcome. So if my behavior is pretty good, you look at it on a piece of paper, oh my good heavens, she did what she's supposed to do, but my intention underneath that was drama or judgment or something out of integrity, then I'm going to manifest that judgment and then I, you know, I'm going to sit back and say, but look, son of a gun, I did it right, right? Well, no, not really. If I'm totally honest, my underlying motive was not. Oh, yeah. So they're my own enemy. I'm creating my own, you know, my own outcome of something not good. The boy's magical because I can, you know, externally blame and say, look, I did everything I could. <laughs> That's right. This yeah. doesn't work. This stuff That's doesn't exactly work. Exactly right. Or they they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, I did the right thing. And, uh, yeah, that is so powerful, the idea that sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. Oh, absolutely. And um, while that wasn't in the show description, I think we do need to stay there a little bit. Like, um, is the enemy really outside of us? And, And... even when there there might be someone or some experience that we think of outside of ourselves as the enemy, what are the dozens of ways right. that we are that I am my own worst enemy? Right. And for me, immediately it does connect back to last week's show on resistance because mm. all I need to think about is what are some of the things that. I kinda I kinda know, kinda know, right? <laughs> okay. I know, you know I should you know. do. I know it. And it keeps coming up and I keep not doing it. Isn't you that know? something? Yeah, to be honest it's about like, that. Well, okay, I know I should do that, but I haven't done it yet and I know I will do it sooner or later because I know that's the path to my next best and highest good. But for whatever reason that's not conscious you know, I'm not consciously aware of why I'm resisting it, but I see I'm observing myself resisting. Right. You know, and that's and you know, and then there are things that I can know exactly why I'm resisting it and name it and label it, but I still keep doing the behavior that doesn't get me what I want. And so, <clears throat> what is that? Is that the Marianne Williamson quote, or you know, the quote of you know that we really fear our greatness? So we keep ourselves in this proverbial, or is it just doing what you're comfortable doing because you've been doing it that way for 20 years or 30 years or 50 years? Becomes such a pattern, and it's just yeah, it's not even a fear of greatness. It's I mean I think that's sometimes it, and then sometimes I think it's not a fear of greatness or it's just this is what I know, <laughs> and I'd rather do what I know my. I, I'm more comfortable doing what I know than learning and trying on some new behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I become my own enemy to my own growth and my own path to greatness, but it's not consciously because I don't want to get to greatness. Right, right, right. I don't even know this path is going to lead to greatness. It is It is a curious thing because I do believe when we, I mean, as soon as you said that about our own enemy, I do think, if I really drill it down, as the Bible and Ernest Holmes both agreed, that enemy within is really the only one that is. And so I perpetuate these beliefs and these behaviors that I affirm my own, you know, it's like I have that duality going within my own life, within my own mind. Well, there is somebody listening to this show I just intuitively know there is somebody listening to this show who is like, Dang it, I called in or listened in or listening to the recording because I wanted you to tell me how to fix my all my enemies. <laughs> I don't want you to tell me I am <laughs> my own worst enemy. <laughs> Trust me, we weren't planning to go here. It just <laughs> happened. And there's something about, and Leslie, you love the word. You mm-hmm. love to use the word accountability. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like... Um, oh, you expect me to hold myself accountable mm. for my choices and my behavior? Right. Darn. And there's another thing we used to always talk about. In, uh, uh, well, we used to go through the licensure process and the psych hospitals with Jayco would come in and, and you'd get this twice a year. Everybody would look at everything you've been doing 
and you had to produce all these things that you should have been doing all year. And, like, when we got the notification that they were coming at the end of May, then, you know, at the beginning of April, we would work, you know, 50 hours every day, it seemed like, to get ready for what we should have been doing every day. And we used to say to each other, you know, if we just kept our side of the street clean, if we just did our laundry every day, we wouldn't have to be doing all this work now in anxiety and fear because, we would have done it every day. It would have been easy. The portions would have been manageable. The activities would have been reasonable to complete. So I always use that as an analogy for my own life. If I lived in integrity in every activity, then I would be able to have the energy and the experience for that, uh, the energy and the ability to handle that experience. But when I'm living out of integrity in 17 different ways or trying to cut a corner or trying to you know, get something for nothing or manipulate this person to give me something I'm scared to ask directly for, and so I take all these shortcuts, and then somehow, you know, 17 hours later, I'm like, boom, I get overwhelmed, and, you know, I'm laying on the ground, and a truck's rolled over me. It's because I didn't live in integrity moment to moment to moment. Those kind of truck bowled over me moments in my life are a massive accumulation of me not living in integrity, me not doing what I needed to do, me not taking responsibility, me not taking action. But, boy, when that truck rolls over me, the truck did roll over me. I mean, you know, metaphorically, something happened in my life and I got slammed. I got fired. I got lost in the relationship. I, you know, had the wreck. I, you know, something happened that, you know, threw me to the ground. But what I have to, for me, really is look back at the 2,483 things that I did that led up to that body right. slam. Right, and not to cause it, but also you begin to connect the flow of energy and see how, while that contributed to, like when we talk about when people get physically ill, uh-huh. we say their resistance was down, you know, because they had not eaten properly or, you know, a long pattern of not doing things that feed and support positive health. And, you know, it's not like any of those choices along the way were, oh, okay, I think I will not eat any fruits and vegetables for three months, and I think I will go out and hug everybody or kiss, hug and kiss everybody who seems to have a sniffle or a sneeze. You know, I think I'm going to do all these things so I can get sick. Uh No, we don't think like that. But, you know, there are lots of things we could do if we were in in integrity Uh around our commitment to wellness Uh Uh that would minimize. Right our risk in terms of flu and cold right. and things like that, let alone more serious chronic illnesses like heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, etc. Right. Wow. So um, when I am my own worst enemy... Okay. You have something you want to say, I can see it. If we had a kid, you're like... Oh, well, no, I'm thinking. Uh-huh. It's like I see the thought. it's ignited something in uh-huh. me. Like, do I really want to? Do I really want to look at that for myself? Yes. No, I look I, at I, it on the radio too. Why don't you? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Do I really want to look at that for myself? It, you know, is that going to be my homework? That's really oh, what I was okay. thinking. Uh-huh. To to look at. Um, Yes, I was debating, do I say this out loud as a homework assignment for our listeners, which would then mean it would also be a homework assignment for me, at least, if not us. But I think that is interesting in this concept of enemies and saying yes to spirit. Where am I being my own worst enemy? And over the next week, just noticing patterns when, or times when you feel stressed, when you feel judged. judged, and what is that that about what is it that you might be doing yes. that contributes to that? Where if you shifted what you right. were doing, right. you know, what would it be like if um, if you were able to and you did decide for three months? Every time a bill comes in, I'm going to pay it on the day it comes in. I'm not going to, you know, wait till the <laughs> the, the past due due date, you know, <laughs> the day before it cut off, right. um, because that that gives me stress, you know. 
Well, and that is in this context of, you know, you have a regular job, you have income, but you notice at the time of the month you get really stressed is because you realize you've forgotten to pay some bills or your bills are late or you've got, a, you know, a late second fee. notice or, a, right, a $3 late fee added to your phone bill because you didn't pay on the day it was due. And then it great then you gripe about the phone company having the three dollar late fee. How dare them? I'm a great customer. <laughs> right. I've been a customer for thirty years and they're giving me the three dollar late fee. But did you have the money in the <laughs> bank before the due date? I mean, you know, I think it's a whole different thing when when you're in a situation where you don't have the money. Right. And the and that creates a whole nother kind of stress. Yes. But I'm thinking about when when you are not doing things you could do right. and realizing it's causing you stress. Right. You know, that that's the thing. So look at that and um and then we'll talk about that in the connection uh connecting the dots segment next week about what came up. And when am I my own worst enemy? You know, for me somehow today, everything seems to be about subtle differences. And when you were talking about where am I feeling judged, you know, I do think there are times that people probably judge me for whatever reason. But the difference is, is what's going on with me creates my reaction. So if I'm my own enemy and I'm judging myself and then somebody comes in and judges me and says, oh, my gosh, have you seen what your car looks like? <laughs> Which, you know, someone said the other day. And when I'm judging myself about what a, you know, mess or, you know, clutter zone my car is, then when they say that, I'm, like, embarrassed and shamed and you have to go home and, you know, oh, my gosh, I feel terrible and now they think, you know, blah, blah, blah. When I'm like, you know, that's just kind of how I am, and, you know, clutter comes, and then I'll sweep it out every month, and, you know, that's okay. That's kind of part of who I am, and it's okay with me, and it's not a big deal for me, and, I, and I'm not judging myself about that experience. They say, oh, my goodness, have you seen it cluttering? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's really cluttered, in it? Oh, it's just a mess, and it doesn't right. affect me, you see? Exactly. So, so it really is the only enemy. All about me. <laughs> we say that in joking, but it is the all about me. The only enemy is in your mind. And, you know, which um, um, brings me to think about the uh, the idea that, you know, we say it's all God and it's all right. good. And, um, and absolutely there are going to be people who judge us. I mean, that's mm-hmm. their role, that's their job, or that's what we want them to do. <laughs> Some of our closest friends, we want them to give us feedback about, you know, maybe you really don't want to be doing that, you know. Um, and that's not... And that might not be judging. That We might interpret that as judging. Right. Or we are in a class and we expect the teacher of the class to give us feedback about what we're not doing well right. or because we want to learn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but if someone else gave us that same feedback, and we hadn't, like, kind of given their role, given them permission to do it All right. because of their role, they become our enemy. Mm-hmm. So we, we, it's not that we always want people to say, expect people to say things that are in agreement or in approval. It's have we given them permission because of their role or mm-hmm. their relationship to us to do that. And if we haven't, we're very quick to say, well, they're an enemy. Who do they think they are? They they must be out for me. I better watch over my shoulder because they, they must be out to get me or they must want something I have. You know? Right. And that's just a shift in role or interpretation of their role and responsibility. But if it's all God and it's all good and if we have sacred contracts with people to come and create certain... Yes challenges in our yes. life so that we can learn yes. certain things, yes. then um, can we really have enemies? No. Yes, no. No. <laughs> yes, no, no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that all the forgiveness work, which we did, I, in fact, I might go back and listen to the show we did on forgiveness because as I recall, I remember thinking that was really good. Um, but is there really anything to forgive when everything we experience, we experience it as a part of our learning and living. Um, 
and, and in Reverend Petra's sermon at the Center for Spiritual Living in Dallas last Sunday, she's doing a series on Jesus, the master teacher. And one of the things that uh, Ernest Holmes says about Jesus is that he lived his life as if the teachings he was teaching were true. And I think that's so powerful. If I really, my belief pattern, my my personal kind of belief is that absolutely if something horrible happens to me, that my belief is that that is working towards my highest good. It was absolutely, as you said, some sort of soul agreement. My inner self knew something that I needed, and this, this horribly tragic thing is, is absolutely my belief that it's going to work for good and something's powerfully good going to come of it. If I really believe that, then how would that change my reaction to the event itself, to the person itself? I mean, it would just, I just have to take a deep breath as I heard you saying that because really, oh, that that's it. That that changes everything if I really lived what I believe. Yeah, if we could connect our knowing that in our head with the power and strength of our emotional reactions right. to things, we'd have a much more peaceful day-to-day life. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a story a minister back when I was young in the Methodist Church told about a uh, he was his father was a chaplain in the army during World War II, and he his job was to go tell the families about when a soldier had died or been killed in battle. And he told the story of he went to this one woman's house and it was a, a a mother whose husband had died, so she was the only parent and she was in her late fifties and her son, uh, her only son had been killed and so now she was in effect alone in the world and he she answered the door and kind of back then I guess they understood when someone came to the door you know it was fairly apparent what the message was going to be so she had an idea and so he said to her at the doorstep you know, kind of what happened, because she said, go ahead and tell me. And he told her, your son has been killed. And she said, well, can you come in and have some tea? And he said that they went through this whole thing in the afternoon where she just treated him like a guest in her home, and they had a conversation about other things. And and at the end, he said to her, he said, how did you handle this? So, well, you seem to be, you know, really at peace with it, and you're not falling apart. And she said, well... I've always thought when something really difficult happens, I think to myself, what would I normally be doing next? And go ahead and do that. And then she said, in this horrible thing, I don't let it take over my next moment. She goes, I'll come to turn. You know, this will be sad. I'll do it. But I'm not going to, you know, get caught up in all of it. I'm just going to keep doing what I would have normally done and then let this kind of assimilate into my life instead of, you know, Derailing the train and going, my son's dead, my life's over. But, you know, now I would normally invite this person in, we'd have some tea, and I might talk about things, you know. So that that was interesting. That's very interesting. And, you know, if we could all do a little bit more of that in less dramatic situations, wouldn't that be powerful Mm -hmm. to be able to take in, wow, this is not going the way I expected. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And rather than now shift everything and all my mm-hmm. thoughts to this, what I'm seeing as a problem, mm-hmm. let me just sit with that problem in the context of the other things that I would normally be doing yeah. today. You mm-hmm. know, so I'm still gonna watch a movie and mm-hmm. I'm still going to you know, call my friends, and the whole conversation's not going to be about this bad thing that happened. It's going to be like, what else would I have talked about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, there's a great lesson in that story. And sometimes I'm thinking now that even we can make events the enemy. Yes. Oh, we, and, oh, yes. Yeah. Say more about that. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I just that was just spontaneous thought because the event. We yeah. we make events that happen in our own lives, the enemy. But what immediately came to mind when you said that was because we are so connected via internet, CNN, oh. Fox News, <laughs> you know, our iPhones, our iPad. We have such immediate access that any event that happens in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we let that become our focus, right? And so something happens on the news, and then every five minutes 
there's an update to that report. The same. Oh. And, right, or they're replaying the same footage that right. you've seen a thousand <laughs> yes. and times in the last half day, but you keep watching it, and then you send, you go online, and you have see the video, and you send it to your friends, and then your other friends are sending it to you, so you see it another 50 times. <laughs> and we get so focused on that that it moves us away from our commitment to say yes to spirit. Yes, God, I know that this is one event in the course of a million gazillion events that are happening in this day all around the world. Right. And even when it's something important or something that has direct impact on me, it is still one piece. Right of the overall puzzle. But we give all our attention to one or two pieces. <laughs> all right. And that's dangerous. Which of course we always talk about spiritual practices. And so, you know, I think just having regular spiritual practices that work for you help to reel you back in yes. to that being guided, guarded and protected by this divine energy that we call God or spirit. And the old 12-step saying, you know, if you have a daily practice, if you have a daily program, then you're putting money in a bank. And so then when you, you know, have a big emotional withdrawal, you've got something to withdraw. If I'm not doing my daily practice, if I'm not doing my spiritual practice, then when something, you know, really dramatic happens, then I am kind of, you know, I don't have much to, to go and get because I haven't been put, putting much in. So those days that even... I think we talked about it in the last couple of weeks, but I think that's really significant, even the days when things are going well or, you know, I'm not really having a need, you know, quote, unquote, go into meditation to feel at peace because I'm feeling peaceful. I'm feeling peaceful. Why meditate? Well, those, you know, to keep the routine, to keep the spiritual practice going strong, even in the positive. Right. I love that that imagery of, you know, I'm depositing. I'm depositing into this account um, so that I have something to withdraw and not be at zero. Right. Or not be in default. <laughs> Already being. Not to have insufficient funds in my spiritual, you know, spiritual bank. bank. Uh-huh. Um, we, you know, definitely don't want that. And then I, I, I also think, again, about the show we did on forgiveness because in that show there were a lot of, of actual practices of forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. Yes which allow us then to release the idea that this person, this event, this thing is an enemy. Right. Because in in actuality there are no enemies. Um, the um, Ernest Holmes wrote, you will come upon trials and tests. You will feel your own resistance and project your own enemies. It is good to remember that Okay, I'm sorry. Ernest Holmes didn't write this. This is in the practitioner training, and this is an um, addition to it, reacting to Ernest Holmes' words. You will come upon trials and tests. You will feel your own resistance and project your own enemies. That All of us will do that. Uh It is good to remember that just as Luke Skywalker came to realize that he was always fighting, not Darth Vader, but himself, Mm. his own fears and beliefs, you too will also be looking of your own making. I love it. And so if we think of enemies as a mirror of our own making. Love it. It would change change my world. Change our world. Absolutely. So um, that's it. That wraps up today's show on enemies, a topic we had no idea what we were going to talk about. But (laughs) somehow the hour goes by. Right. And that's pretty normal for us. So we're glad you joined us. And um, do your homework. I'm going to do my homework. Do your homework and then check the website for the topic for the next two or three weeks. We'll be uploading that in a couple of days. And in the meantime, visit us at GodInMyDay.com or ReclaimJoy.com. And in the meantime, say yes to spirit.
Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.